0: Right, uh, so we're t- continuing our series this morning on uh, the Lord's Prayer, which is uh, the prayer that uh, Jesus taught us, um, and uh, hopefully, PowerPoint, yeah, there we go. So there's heading. So if we move on to the next slide, Paul, um, and this is Matthew 6, uh, verses 9 through to, I think it's 13. Um, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And last week, Phil spoke about uh, give us today our daily bread. And this week, we're moving on to the next section of the prayer, which is forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. So, next slide, please. Um, And I should say that that, uh, forgive us, our debts, um, is the translation in the NIV Bible, the the kind of new international version Bible that lots of people use. Um, However, for many of us, we will have learnt kind of the Lord's Prayer. and, uh, and, And the phrase that we would use if we were speaking out loud, kind of sort of, you know, just because it's part of what we've learned, is forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Um, so, you know, as I do, I got sidetracked by why did we use trespass in, in, in that version. And um, it's, it's not in the King James Version, which is what you might initially think, uh, which is the kind of the, you know, the, the, the thou and hast kind of uh, version of the Bible. Um, no, uh, and nor is it in any of the other normal Bible translations. Uh, most of them, including the King James Version, use the word debt that is also used in the NIV. Uh, some more modern translation use the word wrongs, so forgive us our wrongs. Um, but, uh, but trespass, you, you will be interested to hear, perhaps, uh, is the word that is used in the Book of Common Prayer um, in 1549. Um, so that's why we say trespass, you know, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And the Book of Common Prayer was itself based on the 1526 translation of the Bible by William Tyndale. So, uh, so, so that explains that. Um, but the truth is, it shouldn't be trespass, not really. It's probably best translated as debts. Um, now, interestingly, because normally when we talk about forgiveness, we talk about forgiveness of sins. And in fact, no Bible translates it as sin, not in, in Matthew. Um, and kind of, you know, that's interesting. That's an interesting fact. Why use debt when you could use the word sin? Um, but nothing really turns on it. Nothing is kind of, you, you can't read too much into that for two reasons. Um, first, the version of the Lord's Prayer in the book of Luke uses the word sins forgive us our sins. Um, and second, even in Matthew, uh, Jesus then adds an addendum to the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and, he, and he says as follows. So he, you say the Lord's Prayer, and then as if to, just to clarify the forgiveness bit, he says the following. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So I think it's fair to say there's no magic in the fact that Jesus uses the word debt in the Matthew version of the Lord's Prayer. Whether it's sins, trespasses, debts, wrongs, it basically means anything can be forgiven. Anything can be forgiven. And therefore, anything that can be forgiven is forgiven with God. We are wholly forgiven by God, which is great news. Um, And this forgiveness is absolutely wonderful. We are truly forgiven by God, which is an amazing thing. And when it comes to God forgiving us, we're all over it. That's fantastic. we like that. We'll have more of that, please. But let's look again at the Lord's Prayer. So next slide. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And let's look at the addendum. So next slide. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now somehow that doesn't feel quite right. Um, It doesn't quite fit with what we're often told that God's forgiveness is universal and is unconditional, that it's freely given and it's complete. That all we have to do is kind of pray a prayer and we are forgiven. But not only does Jesus say it in the Lord's Prayer and then in the addendum at the end of the Lord's Prayer, he also says it again in the book of Matthew a bit later on in a different way. So next slide, please. Um, and in Matthew 18... Um, there oh. There you go. Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. I must have missed that slide. Um, go back a bit. Uh, let's keep that one. That's good. Um, in, in Matthew 18, we have the parable of the unmerciful servant. Um, so it starts as follows. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Now, one of those servants owes the king 10,000 talents, which is an enormous sum of money that he has no prospect of paying. So the king does what kings do, which is threaten to sell the servant's family uh, to pay the debt. Um, And the servant says, no, don't do that, please don't do that, and begs the king to show mercy. Now, amazingly, the king shows mercy. He shows pity on the servant and cancelled the debt. Uh, completely cancels the debt. He, he didn't just agree a payment plan, as a bank would do nowadays, or reduce the rate of interest, or, or anything like that. He cancelled the debt, forgave it, all of it. Oh dear, it's getting, it's getting worse. <laughs> um, and um, you know, so, so the employee, the servant, now owned absolutely nothing to the king. Now, the servant then goes away, and the same servant who had just had a debt of 10,000 talents cancelled was himself owed 100 denarii, very small sum, by someone else. Let's call her Emily. Even though Emily pleaded for mercy, the servant refused to listen, and instead threw Emily in prison. So the servant who had been forgiven his debt did not forgive the debt of Emily. And when the king heard about this, he was unsurprisingly furious. So he reversed his previous decision. He reinstated the servant's debt and then threw the servant in prison. And then, and here's the kicker in this story, Jesus finishes the parable by saying, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Whoa! I mean, what is going on there? Unless I forgive my brother from the heart, God will reverse my forgiveness, is that right? And metaphorically speaking, of course, throw me in prison? I mean, none of that sounds right. And how does that fit with Psalm 103, where it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes my transgressions from us. Or Acts 3:19, where it says, Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, got rid of. So what is going on here? What is going on with this conditional forgiveness? And, well, that's hopefully what I'm going to try and explain now. I have to say, though, that I, I've, I've struggled to find the words for this. Um, in my head, it's all very clear. Um, but it's not easy to explain, so kind of please bear with me. Um, And I should say at the outset that when we get to the end, the answer is amazing, absolutely amazing. It is good news, which is the whole point of the gospel. It is good news. You may be thinking at the moment that it doesn't sound as though it's good news, but it is. It really is good news. But before we consider that, just one more point of introduction, which is the next slide. Um, It's important to remember that God's forgiveness, so God's forgiveness of us, differs from From the way in which we forgive others. In that sense, there are two types of forgiveness. And in a perfect world, we would have two different words for them to sort of highlight the distinction. Um, And in many ways, perhaps we do, because God's forgiveness of us could be described as mercy. Indeed, in Paul's letters, that is his favoured word for this experience. He talks about God's mercy far more than about God's forgiveness. In fact, he hardly mentions God's forgiveness. And the distinction between the two, or at least one distinction between the two, so God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of other people, can be seen most clearly when you consider who it is that benefits from the act of forgiveness. So when God forgives me, who receives the benefit? Who benefits from that forgiveness? Well, it's me. I, I, I benefit from God's forgiveness. I am the person who benefits from the forgiveness that God gives. So with God's, with God's forgiveness, the recipient benefits far more than the giver. However, when I forgive someone else, that outcome is reversed. If I forgive someone who has harmed me, maybe from years ago, I benefit from that act of forgiveness far more than the person being forgived. Forgived, forgiven. Indeed, the person who I am forgiving may not even be aware that it is happening. They may even no longer be alive. So the act of forgiveness, from me to you or to someone else, a third party, benefits the giver of the forgiveness far more than the recipient of the forgiveness. Do you see? So both God's forgiveness benefits me and my forgiveness of others also benefits me. Does that make sense? So let's now look in more detail at the nature of God's forgiveness. So Next slide. So often we think of forgiveness and it's so often talked about as though it's an abstract concept. Here's a quotation from sort of one particular website that I came across yesterday, um, and there'll be thousands saying the same sort of thing. One of the Bible's greatest truths is that when we turn to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, God forgives our sins and gives us the gift of eternal life. Now, most of us will have heard that sort of statement in one form or another a thousand times. This talks about a forgiveness as sort of a change in our legal status. Um, in some ways, it feels almost impersonal. It's like judgment handed down from on high. Uh, it, it's, it's almost transactional. If, if I say sorry, if I repent, then I am forgiven. And furthermore, th- this, this concept of, of forgiveness is often presented as something almost, almost mystical, something that happens out there. That when Jesus died, somehow this thing called forgiveness was instantaneously bestowed upon humanity. That somewhere in the heavenlies, a verdict of guilty was replaced with one of innocence. That there was a divine click of the fingers and somehow we were forgiven. And of course, don't get me wrong, we are forgiven. But when I look at Jesus and the stories that he told... I see a very different image of forgiveness. Now, I don't know if you've ever done any fiction writing or, or anything like that, but, but there, there's a golden rule kind of when you're writing the kind of fiction or plays or any sort of drama or when you're watching a film or anything like that. And the rule is this. Show, don't tell. So rather than saying, Janet was angry what you do is you have Janet throwing a mug against the wall or something like that. Um, And rather than saying, John was in love, you have an image of John looking longingly at a photograph of his beloved. So you show the emotion, you don't tell the emotion. And that seems to me is how Jesus taught forgiveness. So let's look at the parable of the prodigal son, for example, in Luke 15 which is a superb story about forgiveness. But yet the word forgiveness is never mentioned in it. Instead, forgiveness is shown. Show, don't tell. I mean, some of you will know the story very well. The younger brother takes his share of his inheritance and then squanders it. When he finally comes to his senses, he decides to go back home. And he prepares a speech that he will give to his father. I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. In other words, I've messed up and I owe you. I have a debt to pay to you. And I will work to you and for you to pay off that debt. Now, but what actually happens? While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Show, don't tell. And that is such a powerful image, and it's so different from the image of forgiveness as some sort of legalistic, semi-impersonal one that I, I read on the website. The forgiveness that Jesus talks about involves emotion it involves tears it involves hugging it involves kissing but at the same time there is also this sense of regret what do you think the what do you think the son was feeling throughout all of this there's a sense of regret there's sadness guilt and also relief it is an ambiguous emotion it is nuanced it is human show don't tell. And let's now look at a second example, when Jesus forgave Peter. At the end of the book of John, Jesus is with his disciples. And this is after Jesus has risen from the dead. Now, obviously, a few days earlier, before Jesus had been killed, the disciples had all, in their various ways, let Jesus down. So there's a sense of awkwardness about the meeting with Jesus because they all felt guilty in various ways. and This was particularly relevant for Peter, who had disowned Jesus three times. And Jesus speaks directly to Peter, asking him three times, Do you love me, Simon Peter? Do you truly love me? And on each of those three occasions, possibly with an increasing level of sadness and self-awareness, Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then in response, Jesus says three times, feed my sheep, take care of them. And once again in this passage, the word forgiveness is not used. But it doesn't need to be. Jesus' forgiveness is seen in the way Peter is given new responsibility by the way in which Peter is recommissioned for a new task. Jesus forgives Peter by giving him a job to do. The act of giving Peter a job is the act of forgiveness. It is not an abstract concept, it is a practical, real-life, here-and-now concept. Once again, the, the yeah, it, it's, it's not a mystical form of forgiveness. It is intensely practical. Show, don't tell. So w- what we see from these two examples, and there are countless others in the in the Gospels. Just you know, you don't need to read the you read the Gospels; they're just everywhere. Is a very practical form of forgiveness. It's physical. It's visceral. It's personal, it's active, it's emotional, and it's a process. Next slide, please. Now, with that in mind, uh, let's look back at the Lord's Prayer. Now, the Lord's Prayer is split into two halves. The first half is about motivation and mission. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is Jesus saying to his disciples, your motivation for life is love for the Father. That's the starting point. That's where it all begins. But your mission is to establish God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So we have our mission, should you choose to accept it. Dum, 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 dum. And that leads us to the second half of the Lord's Prayer, which is all about the things that may stop us from achieving that mission give us today our daily bread forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one now these are four possible obstacles in the way of Jesus's disciples being able to fulfill the mission of bringing God's kingdom to earth first <coughs> we need our daily bread if we want to see God's kingdom come on earth then we need the tools to achieve that. Second, we mustn't be led into temptation. If we want to see God's kingdom on earth, then we mustn't be distracted. Third, we need to be delivered from the evil one. If we want to see God's kingdom on earth, then we must be ready for those times when things are going horribly wrong. But the fourth one is all about forgiveness. So forgiveness or lack of forgiveness is this, this fourth obstacle to us being able to achieve the mission. If we want to see God's kingdom on earth, we must know that we are ourselves forgiven. Not only that, but we must also be people who forgive. Our lives must be marked by the same forgiveness that marks out God. Now, often, we talk only about the benefits of receiving God's forgiveness. And earlier I quoted from that website that said, God forgives our sins and gives us the gift of eternal life, and we love that stuff we love we love thinking you know what god gives <clears throat> what God gives to us, but that turns forgiveness into a form of sunbathing, kind of God forgives us, and we just lie back and receive all the good stuff and of course god 's forgiveness comes with loads of good stuff, as Paul puts it. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. But Jesus makes it clear that God's forgiveness is also something that comes with responsibilities. When Jesus forgave Peter, the act of forgiveness came with an obligation. Feed my sheep. Look after the church. Jesus was saying, You are forgiven for a purpose. When the prodigal son was forgiven, that too came with the responsibility. After the celebrations had died down, the son would would have had to resume his position in the family as the younger son, doing his share of the work. And he would have had to do a lot of making up with his elder brother, who was annoyed. And we too are forgiven for a purpose. We are forgiven so that we can play our part in bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth by living a life of love, by loving God, by loving others in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, forgiveness is a gift of grace. We haven't earned it. It is freely given to us, but it comes with responsibility. And I think that's why Jesus says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Because forgiveness is wrapped up in the mission of God. God forgives us so that we can forgive. If we fail to forgive, we are not fulfilling the mission. When he forgives us, he gives us freedom and it is our job to pass on that freedom. And if we fail to pass on that freedom, we somehow lose our own freedom. That's a concept I'll come back to. Next slide, please. Now, to help us understand this, let us consider an organization. You can think of whatever organization you like. It could be a church, it might be a political party, it might be a workplace, or even a family, or a marriage. Whatever it is, let us imagine that this organisation is split into two, or even three, different factions. Each faction disagrees with the other or others. But more than that, each faction holds on to its grievances, many from years before, when they were slighted by someone, and they hold on to it. And these factions fight each other the whole time. There's politics, there's infighting, and above all, there's this lack of forgiveness, I think. Many of us will have been involved with organizations a bit similar to that. Now answer me this. Is that organization fulfilling its mission? No, it isn't. Not even close. Is it even capable of fulfilling its mission? No, probably not. It is utterly dysfunctional. It is toxic. The lack of forgiveness between the groups fatally undermines the mission of the organization because it makes the mission impossible. As people within those factions, they have actually lost their freedom. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at when he says, if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. I feel that Jesus is saying that if you do not yourself forgive others, then the forgiveness that you have received from God is wasted and worthless. God's forgiveness is intended to set us free to live the life that he wants us to live. But unforgiveness snatches that freedom away. If we do not forgive each other, then what is the benefit of God forgiving us? If we are called to love others, then that calling is undermined if we do not live a life of forgiveness. Next slide, please. Now, at this point, I should say, don't beat yourself up. None of us is perfect. None of us have got this sorted. I suspect that most of us will have problems when it comes to forgiving some people. We're probably very good with some people and not so good with other people. So please do not beat yourselves up. This is, after all, a good news message. This is a story of how God makes us free and how we can free others. So the starting point is that God forgives us. Whenever you ask for forgiveness or for help to forgive others, you can guarantee that your heavenly Father will see you from afar and will run to you. And when he meets you, he'll fling his arms around you and will kiss you. His forgiveness is available to us whatever we have done. That is clear from Jesus' actions during his his ministry. That's clear from Jesus' actions on the cross when he said, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. And that's clear from his actions after the resurrection when he forgave Peter. Even though humanity killed God, even though humanity did the very worst that it could do, God nonetheless forgives us. And that forgiveness is liberating. It is freeing but we can only get the full benefits of that freedom if we ourselves forgive. Next slide, please. As such, we must try to cultivate forgiveness within our lives, to show empathy for others, to smile with love at the driver who cuts us up, to offer a supportive word to the person who eventually picks up the phone after we've been hanging on for 30 minutes. And within the church, We need to ensure that hurts and harms are swiftly dealt with. That we are swift to apologize and swift to forgive. Speaking personally, I know that I often speak flippantly and in a jokey manner to people. I also often say the exact opposite of what I'm actually feeling. It's a defense mechanism. And if anyone has ever been upset by anything that I have ever said, then I apologize. It's never my intent to harm anyone. But what if the hurt is deeper than that and is more long-lasting? Many people here, I suspect, will have things which happened years ago which still affect them now and which they are struggling to forgive. In these situations, how do we forgive? Now, I I freely admit that this is an area in which I have no experience. So yesterday, I googled forgiveness, TED Talk. And I found a fascinating talk by someone called Sarah Montana. Um, And I'll post a link to it later on in the church Facebook page. Um, I strongly recommend that you listen to it. It's only 15 minutes long, so half as long as this and infinitely better. Um, She starts by saying this. Did you know that there are 62 passages in the Bible with the word forgive and 27 with the word forgiveness? And not a single one tells you how to do it. They just Say how great it is. It's the Nike of spiritual gifts. Just do it. Sarah Montana uh, is an American um, in her early 30s. A decade ago, when she was 22, uh, a neighborhood kid, 17 years old, broke into a house to steal some stuff. So her parents' house to steal some stuff. He came across Sarah's brother on the sofa, panicked, and shot him dead. He ran away, realised he'd left his coat behind, went back for the coat. By then, Sarah's mother had come down and was upset, so he shot the mother dead too. The TED Talk is about how Sarah was eventually able to forgive that kid. Now, hers is obviously an extreme story and will be unique to her. Your own story of hurt and harm will be unique to you. But I think looking at Sarah's story will help us to understand the process of forgiveness. Next slide. And I want to very quickly make 10 points based on her story. First, chained. For the first seven years after the murder, she said that it was as though the murderer was connected to her, as though a chain ran from him and was attached to her like a grappling hook. She kept on doing that as the image, the physical image of the way in which his life was just connected. She talked about how she pulled him around wherever she went. In effect, he was chained to her side. She had a lack of freedom. Two, pressure. She stated that almost from the outset, she felt pressure to forgive him. As she expressed it, victims feel a lot of pressure to forgive from everyone else. Everyone wants you to forgive so that they can feel comfortable and they can move on. But she also placed pressure on herself. One mistake, she says, is that you think that forgiveness is a shortcut to healing. You think that if you can skip to the end of the story, you can bypass all the angry, vulnerable, messy healing stuff. Three, process. But healing, big hurts, takes time. Forgiveness is a process. And I think that's another reason why Jesus put it in the Lord's Prayer. Forgiveness is a daily process. As Sarah says, most of us avoid forgiveness like the plague because we do not want to look at our wounds. Wounds are scary. They are nasty. They are icky. It is way easier to take all that emotion and channel it into rage at another person, and i got to be honest with you, I say do it. It's an important part of the process. So forgiveness is a process. Four, why? But then Sarah had a realisation. I think I was asking the wrong question, starting with how, when really what I needed to know was why. Why forgive? And her conclusion? And this quotation is just beautiful. She said, forgiveness is designed to set you free. She realized that unforgiveness involved being emotionally chained to the murderer and that freedom could only be achieved through forgiveness. Five, what? Sarah says, but to get free, you have to be super specific about what exactly it is that you are forgiving because you cannot forgive something that didn't happen to you. So Sarah could not forgive the murder itself because she had not been murdered. She had to forgive the pain that had been done to her. I had to assess my damage hits, she said, the wedding I had without the two of them, the parts of me that my husband and kids will never get to understand without knowing the two of them. My inherent sense of safety that I don't think I am ever getting back. Those are my damages. Six, alternatives. Sarah made a fascinating point that often when we are hurt by someone, it can be easily resolved by talking to them, asking them to explain why they did what they did, or asking them to apologize. That is what you are Owed if you have been hurt. That is what you deserve. If you've been hurt, that's what you deserve. That's what you are owed. That is the debt that the other person owes to you. But if that debt, if that apology or explanation is never going to come, that's when forgiveness is necessary. Because the alternative to forgiveness is to hold on to the hurt forever. And that is too painful and will ultimately do more damage. She said, One day, losing myself in order to punish him and keep the two of them alive felt like too high a cost to bear. I knew what I was owed, but choosing myself was more important than being right. That's when I was ready to forgive. Seven, forgiveness. Here's a quotation. When you say, I forgive you, What you are really saying is, I know what you did. It's not okay. But I recognize that you are more than that. I don't want to hold us captive to this thing anymore. I can heal myself, and I don't need anything from you. And after you say that and you mean it, it's just you. No chains, no prisoners. Contact. Sarah chose to write a letter to the murderer. Now, that will not always be necessary, it might not be sensible, and it might not even be possible on certain situations. But she did it on that occasion. And she says, So I wrote him a letter. I told him that what happened on December nineteenth, two 2008 was not OK and would probably never be OK for either of us. But just because it wasn't OK... That didn't mean that he owed me anything. Not an apology, not an explanation, not his role as my villain. I told him that I wished him a lifetime of healing and that I forgave him. Think about that in the context of the Lord's Prayer. She was forgiving the debt that he owed to her. She was owed an apology an explanation. At the very least, remorse. That was the debt that the murderer owed to her. But she forgave that debt. Cancelled it completely. Nine, no expectations. This is what she says. Real forgiveness has to let go of all expectations. You can't expect a certain outcome. You can't expect them to reply. You can't even expect to know who you are going to be on the other side of it. Sorry, you can't even expect to know who you are going to be on the other side of it. Forgiveness is really tricky. It's one of those weapons that can only be wielded when we have healed just enough that we have nothing left to use. And finally, freedom. She gives this final quotation. Forgiveness is the only real path to freedom. God wants us to be free. That's why he forgives us. He forgives us to give us that freedom, and he wants us to forgive others so that we do not lose that freedom. And with freedom, we can build the kingdom of God. Forgive us our debts, Father, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Let's pray. Father, I pray, Lord, for anyone in this room who is struggling with forgiveness. Lord, I I pray that they would reach out to you. Lord, that they would look to the Lord's prayer and they they would say, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And that they would know that as they say that, their loving heavenly Father will see them from afar, will run to them, will hug them, will kiss them, And say, I have been waiting for you. I love you. Come, let's celebrate. Let's sort out this forgiveness. Let's sort this out so that you can live and you can work again in my kingdom. Amen.